This morning we are concluding our series that we have been calling Deconstructing Faith. And and I, I really hope and I pray that, that you guys have uh, uh, enjoyed and gotten as much out of this series as I have. Um, I Like I, I've shared with you throughout this series, I, a lot of what I, I've kind of been talking about has been things along my own personal journey. The, the the questions and the doubts and the things that I've wrestled with, but I think that many, if not most of us in this room have, have dealt with some similar things um, as, as well, those times where we've doubted God, where we've questioned God, where, where maybe you know, we've had to confront our own traditions, our own beliefs, our, our own struggles, and, and maybe even just wrestling with difficult questions that don't seem like they have any really good answers. And so today in, in our kind of final installment of our Deconstructing Faith series, I, I want to talk a little bit just about the heart of God, and especially the heart of God to those who have struggled with and wrestled with your own faith, and struggled and wrestled with God in a way, and, and, and maybe that does describe you, maybe that describes where you're at right now. Maybe you've been there, or, or maybe if you've not, I guarantee you at some point, you likely, you likely will. Or maybe that describes somebody that you know, that you love. Maybe it, it's, a, it's a son or a daughter, a grandchild, a friend, you know, that, that maybe that, you know, they, they've, they've had these struggles, they've wrestled with these thoughts, these questions, and maybe at one point or another, they've walked away from God, walked away from faith completely. And, and, and this happens for all sorts of reasons. I, I want to just unpack a, a couple of those. Maybe Maybe you've been hurt by the church or by other people who call themselves Christians, who call themselves believers, and, and there's been a lot of damage that has been done in the name of God and in the name of church. I, I, was, I had a conversation with somebody just this week from, from our church, and, and they were telling me that they have some, some family relatives that, that have struggled just with gender identity and, and came out as transgendered, and, and it, wasn't, it wasn't our church but the church that they were a part of actually asked them to leave because it made others within the church feel uncomfortable. And, and let me just say, like, regardless of, of where you come down on, on LGBTQ rights, there's been a tremendous amount of harm that's been done to that community by the church. And it's nothing short of, of vile, it's nothing short of evil. And, and so no matter what your opinion is on, on these issues, like people in the LGBTQ community deserve and are worthy of dignity and love and respect. But church people can be some of the most cruel and hurtful people around. And this conversation that we were having, they, they were asked to, to leave the church that they were a part of. And, how, and, he, and he was sharing with me about how his family members really struggle with the idea of church today, with, with people that, that identify themselves and call themselves Christians. Like, they, they view them with, with suspicion because of how they were treated. And so sometimes people walk away from faith, they walk away from God because of, because of us, because of the way that the church has, has responded to them. I mean, there, there's, uh, spiritual abuse is a real thing. It's a real thing, and there, there have been many people that have been hurt and have been wounded by the church, within the church. And, 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 that, and that kind of abuse, it, it's, it's hard, it's difficult to, to process and, and work through, probably because, it, it, I would say this, especially because when it's perpetuated by somebody that you believed you could trust, but that you believed that you could uh, trust your heart with and, tr and, and, and that was pouring into you, and when that, that trust is broken, it's really difficult 
to, to, to wrestle through and walk through that. Sometimes people have walked away from faith or walked away from God because they've felt betrayed or they've felt let down by God. You know, perhaps some tragedy in your life that, that you prayed for and you believed that God was going to bring you through and then he didn't. Maybe the, the loss of a child, the loss of a marriage, the death of a dream, a sickness that won't, that won't go. And, and, and we know that, all right, God can do anything, but in this instance, he's not. And I don't know how to make sense of that. And understandably so, like that, that can wreck somebody's faith. There, there are people who have walked away from faith and walked away from God because there are issues that they just can't seem to reconcile. That as you read through the Bible, like it, it can come off at times, it, it can appear as though like God is condoning things like ethnic cleansing, like genocide. There's times where we read scripture and it just seems like God is so, he just seems so unfair. You know, like the Old Testament punishment that was prescribed for, for adultery or for a child disrespecting their parents or any host of, of other like transgressions the punishment was death, and you're thinking, really? Like, like my kid sasses off to me, and all right, well, we're going out back. Let's get some stones, you, you know? Like, and, and in moments like that, it can, be, it can be difficult. It can be hard to hold on to faith in those moments of saying, like, all right, God, I just don't get it. It just doesn't, isn't making sense to me at all. And, and we can look around and say, God, I, I'm, I'm trying to believe that you're good, but I, but I look and I just see, where are you in all of this? Where, where, where are you right now? And, and, and those, those times where it feels like God is either aloof or indifferent or, or something like that. And it, and it makes it really hard for us to hold on to faith and to trust that God is and to trust that God is good in those moments. And I could go on and on. The, the, the reasons are endless for, for why people have left or have walked away from the faith. But I, I want to share with you that there is good news, though. There, there's good news even for those who have walked away, for those who have wrestled and who have struggled, who've had those questions about what they believe, or even if they believe at all. There's good news for every one of us in the room today. And, and this is the first point that I wanted to share today, is that our wrestling and our struggles don't disqualify our faith. Our wrestling, our struggles don't disqualify our faith. Like, there's a story that, that Paul shared a number of weeks back in, in his uh, spiritual transformation series when he taught about Jacob. And, and so he, Paul did a really great job. I'm not going to belabor the point here, but, but I believe it's an important aspect for us to touch on. And so I want to read to you from Genesis chapter 32. I'm going to read in the message uh, paraphrase because, because I, I find this, this story truly fascinating. And in verse 22, it begins, it says, But during the night he, meaning Jacob, got up and he took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He got them safely across the brook along with all of his possessions, but Jacob stayed behind by himself and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he couldn't get the best of Jacob as they wrestled, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. The man said, let me go, it's daybreak. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. The man said, what's your name? And he answered, Jacob. And the man said, but no longer. Your name is no longer Jacob, but now, for, for, excuse me, from now on, it's Israel. For you've wrestled with God and you've come through. 
And Jacob asked, what is your name? And the man said, why do you want to know my name? And then, right there and then, he blessed him. Jacob named the place Peniel, God's face, because he said, I saw God face to face, and I lived to tell the story. The sun came up and as he left Peniel, limping because of his hip, and this is why Israelites to this day don't eat the hip muscle because Jacob's hip was thrown out of joint. And, and so I don't know what this wrestling match between Jacob and God, what, what the, the, that all looked like exactly. I don't, I don't know what it means. The, the text doesn't exactly tell us exactly why Jacob was wrestling with God throughout the night here. But in the end, what I find truly fascinating and encouraging about this story is that even though Jacob wrestled with God, and he, even though in some ways, like he makes a pretty ridiculous request of saying, all right, hey, I'm not letting go until you agree to bless me. Like even after this all-night wrestling match between God and Jacob, not only does God bless him, but God continues to use him in his redemption story that, that, he is, that, that he's writing, that, that Jacob is, is now renamed Israel, and Israel has 12 sons, which were the, the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and even though we could look at Jacob's life and objectively say, all right, the guy was just kind of a, he was a trickster, he was a scoundrel, somebody who always went about trying to pursue things his own way instead of doing it God's way. God didn't turn away from him, even in those wrestling moments. He didn't shun Jacob for wrestling with him. He didn't abandon Jacob, but instead he actually blessed Jacob on the other end of that wrestling match. He still chose to use him. And I find that so encouraging because in some ways I, I think to myself, now obviously I'm not physically wrestling God, but, I, but that name that name wrestles with God. Like, I, I feel like that, that describes me. It describes so much of like, what my faith journey has been like. And I'm so thankful that, that my questions and my wrestling with God has not turned him away from me. And so as, as, I, was, as I was thinking and as I was praying about this message here today, God brought to mind probably one of, if not the most famous parable that Jesus ever told. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Now, before we get to the, that parable, though, I, I want to say a couple things about it. That, that the parable of the prodigal son is actually the last of a set of three parables that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 15. And if you recall last week when we were talking about Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And, and, and what, was, what kind of stood out, what was different about Nicodemus was that he actually approached Jesus, not with this intention to try to trap him, not with this idea that he was trying to like, get him into trouble or, or to uh, ensnare him in, into saying something that was going to, to harm him, but that Nicodemus actually approached Jesus with, with a heart of, of wanting to know, wanting to grow, wanting to understand. But in Luke chapter 15, the Pharisees that, that are around, they're actually complaining about Jesus. They're, they're complaining that he's, he's inviting, he's spending time with, with sinners and tax collectors, and he's eating with these, these undesirables, as they would see them. And, and Because for the Pharisees, they, they were hypervigilant when it came to anything that was regarded as unclean. Like generally speaking, the Mosaic Law spoke of something being unclean. It was meant that it was, it was unfit for worship. There were certain animals that were deemed to be unclean, and so those animals couldn't be used as, as a sacrifice. They couldn't be used in worship as a sacrifice. There, there were certain actions that were deemed to be unclean. 
things like touching a dead body. And, and so if, 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 you were, if you touched a dead body and you were deemed to be unclean, you were temporarily unavailable to participate in worship ceremonies. Certain foods were considered to be unclean. And so in the mind of, of the Pharisees that, that are confronting Jesus here, if you were hanging around and you were associating with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, by extension, you were then unclean as well. And that was their beef. All right, Jesus is hanging around with these unclean individuals. And so in response to this charge, Jesus shares three different parables. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep, where a, a shepherd has 100 sheep, he, and he has 99 of them that are, that are safe and secure, and they're found, and, and they're right there with him. But he leaves those 99 to go in search of the one that was lost. And the next parable he tells is the parable of, of the lost coin, where this woman had 10 silver coins, and she'd lost one in her house, and she turns her house upside down to try to find this one coin that was lost. And when she finally found it, like there, there was great rejoicing. She, she was so excited that she found this one lost coin that was, that was in her house that she couldn't find before. And then finally he tells the parable of, of the lost son, or as most people know it, the parable of the prodigal son. And it's a very well-known story, but I want to read to you, I want to read it to you in its entirety and have us talk about it. So I got my reading glasses because this is a longer passage. All right. So this is in, in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. It said, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set out for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I will go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. But meanwhile... The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when you're this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you killed a fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. 
and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. I mean, it's such an incredible, beautiful story of, of unmerited love and grace and forgiveness and mercy. But there's a, there's a few things from this parable that I want to highlight this morning. Now, first of all, the son makes a pretty bold request of his father. Like he's saying, all right, I don't want to wait until you pass away to get my inheritance. I want it now. I, I want my inheritance now. And, and the custom throughout time has been that you receive an inheritance when your parent passes away, not while they're still alive. That's just not how it works. But this younger son, he says, no, no, I, I want to be able to enjoy it now. I don't want to wait. And in this instance, the father does what he says. He, 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 he sells part of his estate and gives this youngest son his portion of the inheritance. And, and he takes the money that he didn't earn, that he didn't deserve, and he blows all of it, every last penny of it. There, a couple of years back, Jim Waltman and I were talking, and, and he shared this website with me that is just absolutely fantastic if you just want to waste hours of your life on it. And the website is thisiswhyimbroke.com. You remember this, Jim? Oh, yeah. You, you go on this website, I mean, you, you could literally blow a king's ransom in an instant. Like, it's, it's all kinds of things that you never knew existed and never knew you needed in your life until you went on, on this website. So, like, you, you can go on and you can get a, a ghillie suit. You know, like, like you, you, can, you can buy, like, because who doesn't need one of these? You, if you wanted to dress up as the Black Knight from Monty Python and the Holy Grail, you, 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 you can get the entire Black Knight, which, speaking of Monty Python, did, I don't know if anybody watched the coronation yesterday. Did you, see, did you see the king get the holy hand grenade of Antioch in his hand? Like, can you put, like, I, I mean, that's pretty amazing right there. I, that's all I got to say. Like, all right, you, you can go on thisiswhyimbroke.com, and you can buy an Arnold Schwarzenegger headphone holder. So if you ever wanted a bust of Arnold Schwarzenegger on your desk that you can place your headphones on, this is where to find it. Like, I, I, like I'm telling you, like, the younger son, like, he would have blown through his inheritance in no time uh, on this website. But, but he, he, like, he goes and he wastes all of it, every single bit of it, and he finally comes to his senses and he decides to head back home, not to be welcomed back as a son, but to be welcomed back as a servant because, because he felt he didn't deserve to be a part of the family anymore. Essentially, he, he was kind of saying, all right, Dad, I'm out. I'm walking away from, from the family for good. And so he says, all right, I'm not going to go back and, and, and try to take my place as son. I'll, I'll just go back and I'll just try to be a servant. And I think one, one of the most amazing things about this parable, and this is the the next point, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that God's love keeps the door open, even though it looks like it's closed. God, God's love keeps the door open, even though it looks like it's closed. Now, because the father in the story, he was clearly wronged by his son. He, he went along with what his son was asking. He gave him his share of the inheritance, just as he asked. And, and even though it looks like the story is over, 
that this chapter of their relationship is closed, all right? The, the son left, he dishonored his father, he took his money and got the heck out of Dodge. And from anybody on the outside, you'd say, all right, yep, <coughs> they're done. That, that chapter is closed. But the, the hurt and the brokenhearted father does not hurt and break the heart of his confused and irreverent son. Like, like in our society, it's completely normal to exchange blow for blow. That if somebody hurts you, all right, well, I'm going to hurt you back and maybe even up the game a little bit. I'm going to teach you a lesson in the process. But God's love endures heartache. It perseveres through brokenness and even suffers loss. And, and though he would have been fully justified that when his son left to, to lock the door and throw, the way a key, throw away the key, he actually keeps the door open. Because God's love will never blow up the relationship but will always leave the door open to reconciliation. Always leave the door open to reconciliation. And in our world, in our culture today, like, no, knows nothing of this, of this kind of love. Like, in, in, our, in our world, like, cancel culture is a big buzzword today. This idea that, all right, if you hurt me, if you disagree with me, if you say something I don't like, you believe something that I don't like, well, then I, I, can, I can just cancel you. You're dead to me. You're out of my life forever. I, I, I've been listening to a podcast called The, the Witch Trials of J.K. Rowling, it, and it really is, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating story, and, and it's amazing how, how vile the reaction has been to her voicing an opinion that some disagreed with. That fans who loved her books were now sending her death threats and rape threats, burning her books, not because she had personally hurt them, but because she expressed an opinion that they found offensive. This idea of, all right, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. Like, but God's love always, always extends the possibility of reconciliation. He'll always leave that door open. And in verse 17, Jesus said that when he came to his senses, when the younger son came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. And the only reason he could even think this, the only reason he could even entertain the thought of going back home is because he knew his father would leave that door open for him. That even though it appeared that the son had slammed that door shut, that he had burned that bridge when he took the money and ran, the love of the father kept that door open for reconciliation. The second thing I, I, I see in, in this parable is that God's love awakens and attracts those who are in need of love. God's love awakens and attracts those who are in need of love. Of love, and I, and I mentioned earlier about the parables that Jesus told immediately prior to this one, the, the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And in both of those, the, the shepherd and, and the woman who had lost the coin, they're, they're going out of their way to go searching for something, searching for something that was lost. And, and you could look at the parable of the prodigal son and say, all right, but the father didn't go out searching for, for his son. He didn't go looking for him. But I would actually argue that the love of God is what went searching for him that when he was in his worst moment, when he was starving in that pig pen, the love of God was searching and beckoning and drawing him back home once again. 
And so no matter where we find ourselves, whether, whether it's starving in a pig pen, in our fifth marriage, struggling with depression, in the depths of addiction, if we find ourselves not even sure if we believe in God at all, no matter where we find ourselves, God's love is always running after us and always beckoning and drawing us back to him. It's attractive. It, it draws us back once again. And, and if we look at verse 20, Jesus says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Filled with compassion for him. The, the, the father, his father wasn't filled with anger, though that might have been justified. Like I, 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 I sometimes put myself and say, all right, what would my response, what would my reaction be? And I, I would like to think that I would have a similar response to the father in this story. I think I would, just being honest, I think I'd probably have a slightly different response. They're like, all right, it's about time this sucker came home. <laughs> like, all right, how'd that work out for you? Now, now we're going to talk. And let him know how upset I was, how hurtful it was, him walking out on, on me. But that's not what the father does. The father is filled with compassion for his son. Filled with compassion. And this leads me to my next observation. It's that at times, God's love holds off on words so that he can open his arms. There's times where God's love will hold off on words so that he can open his arms. And, and I think we've probably all experienced something like this at one point or another where, where we find ourselves in just a very low state where we're down and we're discouraged and we're frustrated we're just feeling beaten up by life. And maybe we're filled with regret or shame or embarrassment. And in those moments, most people don't need a lecture. They don't need correction. They don't need anything to be said at all. Most of the time, in moments like that, the most needed thing is just a hug. Just a quiet hug. A place to cry. To let it out. To just be held. And I don't care how tough you think you are, like we all reach moments in our life where we need the silent care and acceptance and understanding of somebody who loves us deeply. And if we look back at verse 20, where we picked off or picked up before, that he was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Like, the father would have been well within his rights to read his son the riot act in this moment. I think we would all understand if he had spoken about, like, how, how worried sick he was, how he feared for his son's safety, how, how disappointed he was, how hurt he was about how things had went down. But in that moment, he does none of those things. He runs out to his son, and he held him. He held him. And I want to tell you this morning that if you've been struggling with your faith, struggling about whether or not you, whether you believe in God or trust God or not, God is not waiting with a lecture for you. If you've walked away from God, God's not waiting. He's, he's not sitting there having a lecture that, that he just can't wait to tell you about how you need to straighten up, tell you how wrong you've been. 
but his love is beckoning you with arms wide open, ready to embrace you, to pour love and affection on you, regardless of where you find yourself. And I'll tell you, there, there are some people in this room today. There's some people that you're going to come across this week who are struggling, who are confused, who are hurting, and they don't need our words. Sometimes the most spiritual thing, the most loving thing we can do is just embrace. Is just give that hug. And that's what the Father does with His Son. And so when we find ourselves struggling with faith and, and struggling with God, condemnation is not what awaits us, but love and understanding and blessing. And when we read how the Father responds in verse 22, He says, But the Father said to His servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And I'll tell you what an absolutely beautiful, beautiful picture of how God relates to his lost children, who, who, his children who find themselves in places they never thought they would be, children who have walked away for a time but have ended up coming home. And this leads me to my final point this morning that we're going to close with, is that no matter where we are, we can always come home to the Father. No matter where we are, no matter how far away we've gone. No matter where our doubts and our questions have led us to, we can always come home to the Father. And, and, I, and I want you to know, like in this series, we've talked about some, some real and honest struggles that many of us, if not most of us, have probably had at one time or another in our faith journey. Where we've talked about doubt, doubting whether or not God is, is good at all, whether, whether or not God is even there whether he's going to actually come through, questioning, does any of this even matter? Does God really hear my prayers? And if so, why, why, isn't, he, why isn't he answering? Why isn't he doing anything about it? We've talked about disappointment with God, about all right, how, how do I handle it when, when God isn't who I thought he was, or he's not doing the things I thought he was going to do? Talked about trying, how do we trust God even when we don't see him and we don't see what he's doing, what he's up to in this moment? And like I said, many of us have had to work through some of these just different, difficult crises of faith. How do we hold on to faith when we've been hurt by the church and we've been hurt by people? How do we hold on to faith when, when we feel let down by God and let down by others? How do we hold on to faith when we have questions that there don't seem to be any good answers to? And, and the way in this final message in this series, I wanted to close it by just reiterating that no matter where we are, no matter where we are, we can always come home to the Father. The, the prodigal son was starving in a pig pen after he turned his back on his dad. Peter went out in his fishing boat after he had denied Jesus in his moment of need. Elijah was hiding in a cave wishing for death. David had committed adultery and murder and was mourning the loss of his child. 
Thomas didn't believe that Jesus had actually been raised from the dead. The father whose child was sick and was begging Jesus to heal him, he said, I I believe, but help my unbelief. Sarah, who didn't didn't believe and didn't trust God when he said, you're going to have a child in your old age age," to the point that she laughed in, in God's face. Paul, who was persecuting and arresting believers, convinced that he was doing right. Nicodemus, a Pharisee who was willing to be wrong. Like I, I could go on and on, but the good news is that no matter where we are, no matter how much we've struggled, no matter what our, our questions and our doubts, no matter whether we've walked away from God or walked away from faith, God will always leave the door open. Always leave the door open. And he won't chastise, he won't belittle, he won't lecture, he won't accuse but he'll welcome you back home with open arms. He'll celebrate our homecoming. Bless us when we don't deserve it. So allow me to just kind of close with this final thought and admonition that wherever you are in your faith journey, it's not too late to come home. If you've questioned your faith and you've walked away from faith, if you've renounced your faith, I want you to know you can still come home. If you have a loved one who's walked away from their faith, don't give up praying. Because God will welcome them back home. I I can't promise that it will happen. I can't promise when it will happen. But I can promise you that God will always leave that door open. Because he's good. Because he is faithful. He can handle our doubts and our anger and our questions and our disappointment. Because in the end, he desires us. He desires relationship more than anything else. No matter where you are, you can always come back home. Would you bow your heads and let me pray for us this morning? Father, I, I thank you, God, that you are so good and so kind and so gracious and so amazing. Lord, I thank you that that you don't turn your back on us even when we've turned our back on you, Lord, that you you don't, you don't leave us in our own mess, Lord, but that your love is always pursuing us, always chasing after, all, always drawing us back to you, beckoning us to come back home. And Lord, I'm so, so, so thankful, God, that you always leave that door open, Lord, that you, you never shut that door completely on us. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've gone, no matter, no matter if, we, if we've said, all right, God, I, I don't even believe in any of this anymore. God, that when we come back to you, Lord, that you will always, always leave that door open. And I pray for those in this room today that maybe maybe that's where they are right now, that maybe they're just saying, I don't even know what to think about all this stuff. I, I don't even know what to think about faith, about God, about Jesus. I thought I believed at one point, and now I just don't even know. I, 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 like, I've, I've just been so disappointed and so hurt and so let down. I pray for those that are feeling that right now. God, that they would come home. God, that you would do exactly what you did with the prodigal son, that wrapping your arms around him, not a lecture, not an accusation, but just a warm embrace, a celebration, welcome home. God, I pray for those family members in the room. Maybe there's children or grandchildren or loved ones that, that, that at once were, were just passionate following after you and have since 
walked away for one reason or another, Lord, we're just calling them back. We're praying, Lord, that you would just open their eyes like the prodigal son in the, is starving in the pig pen, that he's gonna, they're going to come to their senses and come back home. Even if they don't feel worthy of coming back home, Lord, that they would come back. And, Lord, that you would welcome them with open arms, with a celebration. God, you are so, so good. And I just want to thank you. Lord, I pray for those that as we talked in this series, Lord, just about those struggles and those doubts and those questions. Lord, that even in the middle of them, Lord, that we would still come to you. That we wouldn't permanently walk away, but Lord, that we would always walk towards you even when we don't understand and even when we don't get it. Father, you are good, and we just thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So anybody that knows me very well knows I don't have the best memory in the world. Uh, I agreed to do this communion comment, the comments like uh, four weeks ago, and it wasn't until I got an email last night that I remembered that uh, I had something that I had to do today. So as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about, luckily I worked overnight, so I had a nice long time last night to think about it. A song came to my mind, and the beginning of the chorus goes that the God of the mountains is the God of the valleys. And anybody who's ever climbed a mountain, or in Indiana, a very large hill, there's not a lot of mountains around here, but you know you get that great feeling of accomplishment. You get a gorgeous view. You can look around and see. You, get, you can get that same sight by looking at a picture, but what you don't get is the understanding of the hardship it takes to get to the top of that mountain, the toil it takes to get there. And often when we find ourselves in valleys in life, it's hard to see anything but where you are. You know, just what's right in front of your face. You don't feel like you're ever going to be anywhere but in that dark place. But as you start moving forward, you don't even necessarily realize what you're doing. You're just so focused on putting one foot in front of the other and just trying to move. That really it's not until you look around and find yourself on top of a mountain that you can look back and realize and see how clearly God has brought you, how far he's brought you. Jesus knows that struggle, too, that struggle of just pushing through adversity and pain and hardship. He went through a lot of trials in his life on this earth, and we come to this table to celebrate probably the one that we all know the best, the suffering and the pain he went through, the death that he died to free us from our sin and to give us the beautiful gift of having God alongside of us through both our valleys and our mountaintops. So as we come to the table, we celebrate an open communion here. Uh, you just come forward and take the bread and the cup and just rem remember what it is that Jesus went through to give us that gift. <laughs>